Okay. Back to the gospel according to John. Just remember John was not just one of the 12 disciples of Jesus or those that we call the, the apostles early on. Uh, but he's also described in places as the apostle, the disciple whom Jesus loved. That there was, this, there was a close relationship between Jesus and Peter and James and John. We see that reflected in the fact that he took them up on the Mount of Transfiguration with him, not all the others. And that sort of thing, so special relationship. But we also understand that Jesus and, and John had a very close, perhaps the closest-knit relationship of all the apostles with our Lord Jesus Christ. So beginning with, uh, this is in chapter 3, verse 22, and we're going to read to the end of the chapter. Uh, after this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Ainon uh, near Salim uh, because water was uh, plentiful there, and people were coming and being baptized, for John had not been put, yet been put in prison. Now, a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan. They're talking about Jesus here. The encounter that he had with John and Jesus had earlier on. He is baptizing and all are going to him. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is uh, above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal on this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. It's amazing. Every time I read a particular passage, I, I, I start thinking about all the stuff that in sermon preparation I just kind of passed over. <laughs> it would be, it's not inconceivable, and you know me well enough that we could spend literally weeks just talking about the particular bits of information and, and teachings that are in just those very short verses. You know, the Bible is so rich and so deep. It just is, it continues to amaze me. As many times as I read it and I study it, it seems as though there's always more really good stuff there that you don't really see so much. Uh, maybe some of the other times that you've read through it or studied through it. But, but again, just an, an example of the richness and the fullness of God's Word and, and what a blessing it truly is 
for us that we can read it and study it over and over again and just constantly glean new and deeper and richer things from it. One of the things that's been very clear from the very beginning is that John the Baptist knew what his mission was. Uh, evidently, his disciples did not necessarily. And I would imagine John probably explained to them over and over again the purpose that he had come for. And that purpose was to be the one calling in the wilderness to make way the path of the Lord. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. John is the fulfillment of that. He was, he was, his ministry was a preparatory ministry. Kind of paving the way for Jesus to follow behind. John's not concerned about the fact that what is going on now. It seems as though people are leaving his ministry. His ministry is not attracting so many people as it was at one time. His disciples, the disciples of John, are concerned about that. They're concerned that John's ministry appears to be diminishing at this point, and this ministry of this Jesus fellow is taking off and going like gangbusters. John is not concerned about that at all. John is rejoicing because he knows that, that, that he, in what is taking place, he has a sense that he has fulfilled the mission that God had sent him to do. I just want you to know up front, John's not upset about this. John is rejoicing in this, but it's his followers who are concerned that Jesus is becoming more and more popular and John's becoming less and less in the forefront. There's a sense in which it's very easy to take what we're talking about today and apply it more specifically to people like me. People we call pastors or teaching elders. But I want to challenge us with the idea this morning that it has everything to do with all of us, not just me in particular. That there's a sense in which we are all called to be ministers of the word of God in Jesus Christ. Some people more particularly, and some maybe to a lesser degree, but we're all called to do it nonetheless, every one of us. But some of the things I'm going to say this morning obviously apply more as far as the people in this room go, apply more particularly directly to me because of my position as a pastor, teacher, teaching elder. Uh, and I just, I stand here before you, I, I am so thankful. The older I get, the, the more thankful I am for the education that I had. I, I, to be honest with you, for years and years, I didn't really appreciate it so much. But to have been able to sit under the teaching of R.C. Sproul and Richard Pratt, Tim Keller, and lots of others, John Gerstner, Roger Nicole, 
I am only at this point in my life beginning to really appreciate the precious gift that he gave me with the education that I have. But I remember some things. I had Steve Brown for, for, for my preaching classes for the most part, and, and some of you know of Steve Brown. He's, just, he's a great guy, and he's, a, he, and he's the guy that comes across in his sermons. So it'll be hard to find anybody that has such a gentle and kind heart as Steve Brown does. The crazy thing is this is, you know, as, as we got to know him a little bit in, in some of our classes, when he first became, a, he was a pastor for many years before he ever became a Christian. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Another interesting story he told us one time was this, is that he had his car stolen. And so he reported it, and, you know, months went by, and months went by, and months went by, and they never, they never found out who stole it. And I think eventually he did get his car back, uh, and, and et cetera. But he got this phone call one day, and the voice on the other end of the line says, do you really believe all this stuff that is on these tapes in your car? <laughs> that the guy who stole his car was listening to those tapes? <laughs> And it brought him to the point of knowing that Steve Brown obviously knew someone that he did not know, and that guy was converted to Christianity as a result of it. What a neat story that is. But I can remember Steve Brown in our first class, first preaching class, he said this. He said, if you can do anything else but preach... Please, pretty please, with sugar on top, do it. Now that statement in itself is very, very surprising. And let me tell you, I'm here this morning because I continue to believe that God has called me to do this. The fact that you're here week after week seems to support the idea that this is really what God wants me to be doing. And I'll be honest with you this morning, being a minister is not all that easy sometimes. Sometimes it really is. Let me tell you, there's joys and things that you get as being a minister that maybe you guys don't ever really appreciate where you're at. Uh, that sort of thing. So there really are very great blessings and benefits come, that come from it. But it's not an easy thing. It is a life-consuming thing. It's not a perfect, you can't call it a profession. It is a way of life. It defines who you are and defines basically everything that you do. It's all life-consuming. It goes with you wherever you go. It's a hard thing to do in a lot of ways. Just to give you some idea, I got on the internet this week to see what kind of statistics I could draw up about you know, how frequently guys leave the ministry uh, and this, that, and the other. But I found one that was very helpful. It doesn't really address that issue, but it, but it had to do with this polling that took place amongst pastors to get kind of a picture of how they saw things. 
90% of those who were polled said that ministry was completely different than they thought it was. In other words, they saw it in, in one way, and then when you actually got into it, they found out it was very different than what they had thought or anticipated. 54% of them said that at least at times the role of a pastor is absolutely overwhelming. Some pastors very often take upon themselves the burden of the salvation of every person in their church. And reality is no human being can bear that burden. I actually try not to do that. That's the Lord's job, not my job. And I'm thankful for that. 35% said that they battled depression and fear of inadequacy. Eighty percent have felt completely, totally unqualified at some time or another. Preaching can be quite an ordeal. Sometimes it even brings physical stress on people. You guys have heard of George Whitfield, the great evangelist, the great reformed evangelist? They say that he kept an empty bucket by the stage before he went out to preach every time and, he, and, and immediately before he went out he vomited in the bucket. But nonetheless he did it. You know week after week after week and I have to bring that to your attention because let me tell you that, that, that Sunday morning you may come up to me and think, gosh, he seems like he's off in the ozone or, you know, this or the other. You need to understand that there is, there's a sense, there's a real physical stress that comes upon you when you realize the magnitude of what you're about to do. You might notice that after the service, I'm probably a little bit different than I am before it. My mind is on this passage. I don't sit down one day and in two hours turn out a sermon. I spend time every day through the whole week working on this. And the most amazing thing to me is this, is even Sunday morning, God will give me deeper, further insights than I've thought about during the whole week. But at the same time, with all that said, I want to say this. That there's a sense in which this particular passage applies equally and equitably to every single believer. This idea that we must decrease, that he would increase. We should understand that this is our own experience as a Christian. As you're growing as a Christian, that's what it entails. It means you dying more and more to yourself and living more and more in Christ and for Christ. 
So what I'm telling you this morning is this, is even though this may be direct, more directly applies to people who are in leadership roles as far as ministry goes, there's a sense in which it applies to every Christian, dying to yourself and living more and more unto him. Just a few other things I want to share with you this morning is in regard to, you know, what it, what it means, what it's like to be a pastor. This is what uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote years and years ago. Uh, I would say that the only man who is called to preach is a man who cannot do anything else. In the sense that he is not satisfied with anything else. You are certain of the call when you are unable to keep it back and to resist it. In the end, you say, I can do nothing else. I cannot resist any longer. Brian Chappell writes these words, No conscientious preacher has failed to question whether the task is greater than the servant. We know our skills are insufficient for an activity with such vast consequences. Can you think of anything that has greater consequences for people? We recognize our hearts are not pure enough to lead others to holiness. Ditto. Such a realization can cause young preachers to run from their first preaching assignment and experienced pastors to despair in their pulpits. The human efforts of the greatest preachers are still too weak and sin-tainted to be responsible for others' eternal destiny. You know, very often today, there are a lot of ministers that have very, very great followings. Very often, very big churches that have 10,000 people in them, that sort of thing. They have different ministries, radio ministries, TV ministries, you know, uh, this, that, and the other. But the fact of the matter is we come and we go. You know, 200 years from now, some of the most noted preachers of our day may have essentially disappeared. But the fact of the minister is this, is the ministry of John the Baptist continues on today. What are we talking about this morning? 2,000 years later, John's still a very big part of the picture. So his disciples fretted for no reason at all. He fulfilled the mission that God had sent him on. 
as described by the angel to Zechariah, his father, before John was even born. You shall call his name John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah." to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. John has done it. And he rejoices. But I want to get back to the fact that that even though this passage more directly applies to pastors, it also applies to every one of us. Every person who calls himself a Christian. We look out there at the world and there's, there's certain things that just kind of scream at you. And one of those is how many people really believe that it's all about me. That everything's about me. The only thing people are concerned about are the things that affect them. Negatively or positively. It's all me, 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 me. Me, 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 me. There's no wonder that today there's a sense in which very often the gospel sounds very abrasive to people because it's absolutely on the opposite end of the spectrum from where they are. There's been a great cultural change in the last couple of generations in our nation. We know that. We see it and we're seeing the results of it at this point. But the fact of the matter is we are all in process. None of us has made it yet. And to be honest with you, none of us has come close to making it yet. Now you may look around the room and say, what about so-and-so? They just seem to really have this great love for the Lord. They evangelize people all the time. And you know this, that, and the other. God's really gifted them in all kinds of really neat ways that the church has benefited from. And... Uh, and etc. But the message we have is the message this world desperately, desperately needs to hear. And if we don't spread that word, why would we think for a minute that it's going to get spread? God gives us lots of opportunities, and one of the greatest and most blessed opportunities is, is God has given to each of us, not just the idea, but the responsibility of sharing our faith with other people. And I hope that you, with, with willful determination, are pursuing avenues to make that a reality. I'll tell you this, if you get people to come to church, I promise you they will hear the gospel of Jesus Christ before they leave. 
But at the same time, I want to encourage you to do it yourself. There are probably people that were in your life that are rejoicing because they had the great privilege of being part of your coming to faith in Jesus Christ. There's no greater blessing. There's no greater experience that anybody will ever have in this world. To know that they've had some role to play in the discipling of another person. Being in essence the one who has helped rescue that person from the fallenness and the brokenness of this world and their own sin. To bring them into the family of God. Being a Christian, growing as a Christian means many things. And one of the premier, primary, foremost of those is dying more and more to yourself. And something else. So dying to yourself. And number two. Is living more and more. For him. And through him. In other words what we're talking about. Is this is one of the natural things that happens. As you grow as a Christian. As your faith deepens. Let me tell you. As your faith deepens. You can't hold it in anymore. There comes a time when you just, you just have to tell people. Some of you may look around and look at this church and say, I wish more people would be here. Now let me just tell you this one. You know, you come out of seminary, you always have these great aspirations that you can go out there and you can start sharing the gospel and the church is just going to mushroom and grow. And, you know, the standard today, and it's always been the standard, is to have a big church. You know, and there are people who, look up, who would look upon Springs Presbyterian Church and say, you look like you're pretty much a failure for me. You've got, what, maybe 50 or 60 people here this morning? You know, and that kind of thing. And you don't have any really, hardly any young people here. And, you know, this, that, and the other. And uh, and whatever. But I want to remind us of something. This church did not exist 20 years ago. Or 27 years ago. And through all of these years, we haven't had the impact that some churches have had. But we've had a world-reaching impact. We've been very active in the ministry in Uganda. And very active in the ministry in Honduras. It doesn't just stay here. We knew the Covenant Children's Home was going to be a pain in the rump. We knew it from the beginning. But we pursued it nonetheless. And it's a functioning ministry now that is actually benefiting and helping kids. Sometimes people, I think, are discouraged. They look around and they say, why isn't there more of us? But let me tell you, sometimes God keeps some churches little for a reason, and that's so he can show that it's all about his doing, not people's doing. 
The people can't take credit for it because you look around and you say, how could so much be done by such a puny little group of people? God's been in the business of doing a whole lot with just a little bit from the very dawn of time. He's continuing to do it today. And what you and I need to be concerned about, what we need to be rejoicing, is that we are part of the picture. And we don't know what the future is going to look like. You know, churches come and go. You need to understand that. Churches come and go. And this church may dissolve within the next 10 or 20 years. It's not what I want. I know it's not what any of you want. But I'm 68. Let me tell you, I don't plan on being preaching when I'm 80. And we're so thankful that Mike is here now. We don't know what the picture is going to look like, but we're going to give Mike the opportunity to hone and develop his ministry skills here. And he loves it. So the future looks bright. It always looks bright. No matter how it may look dark to us to some, it always looks bright because... We serve an almighty God who is in the business of taking almost nothing, very little, and doing remarkable, amazing things with it. You may sit here today thinking you're like the lowliest of the lowly. You know, what is there special about me? You know, I'm just, just this person and, you know, and I don't know a whole lot of people and this, that. But let me tell you something. If God has saved if you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, God has saved you. That's how much he loves you. Look at Jesus. That's you. He loves you. That he would do for you all that he's done. So question maybe where you're at and whatever, but don't ever question him. Because he's shown us everything that we need to know. To move us, to motivate us, to strengthen us, to encourage us. And it helps when you always remember this one simple thing. You see, that world out there is trying to tell us over and over again that the world is all about you. It's all about you. Everything's about you. What you need to be concerned about is what affects you. But see, being a Christian gives us the privilege of stepping outside of that mindset. Because we know ultimately, yeah, we're part of the picture. But ultimately, it's all about him. All of it. Christianity gives us a lot of blessings, but one of those is this is it breaks us free of the self-centeredness of the human nature. So just remember this this week as you're going about your daily stuff. 
and you get ruffled because of this, or you get stressed because of that. Just remember who's in control. That's all that matters. And remember that he loves you enough to do for you what he's done. You know, we can't even begin to fathom the love that God has for us. As great as you think it is, it's far greater. Amen. I could go on, but I'm not going to.